If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. With a real teacher, it's kind of embarrassing to ask the third or fourth time around, can you explain that once again? Imagine once you can have a virtual avatar, and that avatar can say, let me explain this to you another way, in a way that no human would ever have the time to do. It's going to be game-changing. Imagine a future where immersive technology revolutionizes education. That's just one of the ways in which futurist Emery Craig foresees us using virtual reality, augmented reality, and mixed reality, or XR, in the coming years. Emery is the co-founder and CEO of Digital Bodies, a New York-based company which researches and implements immersive technologies. In addition, Emery is currently serving as innovator-in-residence at Arizona State University. We talked about what he's seeing right now with the use of VR, AR, XR, and AI, and the directions in which he sees them going in the future. Emery, before we get to talking about XR and AI and the way they're going to be changing our world and education, I'd love to know what first inspired you to make education and entrepreneurship and innovation your career. Oh, that's, that's an interesting question. I have a really varied background. I actually got my degrees in philosophy, but I was in and out of college for, for some time as an undergraduate. I really couldn't decide what I wanted to do, so it really took time for me to, I, I guess you might say, find myself. I started off in the art world and creative industries. I was one of the founding members of the new museum staff, and that was a, an arts organization that really, a museum that really wanted to invent the whole, the invent the whole concept of museums. So, you know, we wouldn't have standard collections. We'd have rotating stuff that we do. We would work only with contemporary artists. We wouldn't, you know, work with artists. And so much modern art goes back to the 1800s now. And so I, I think that was really part of my inspiration on here because I became part of an organization that, you know, that was truly innovative. And as of College in New Rochelle, and as I joined there as faculty, I helped found an undergraduate program in the BA for adult students, for adult working students. And we did a number of things. We, we didn't initially do so much online because it was the late 80s, early 90s. But part of it is we brought campuses to the neighborhoods. We brought experiential learning into the classroom and into the curriculum. We actually had a curriculum that was partly designed by students in collaboration with faculty, so it wasn't like a top-down model. So that was also a very innovative program, and I think there was a lot of inspiration there just in seeing what students can do when they could actually take charge of their own learning, when they weren't just being handed a prepackaged, this is what you're going to learn and you have to do this. But instead of having barriers and hurdles set up, we really saw it as opportunities for them and they, they really embraced that. And then more recently, I guess my, my inspiration is a lot to do with the work that I've been doing over the past seven years in VR and AR, which you might call XR, extra extended reality overall, because I've seen 
such a change in technology. And so that to me is just, it's really inspiring because I see technology moving forward to a whole new era. And I very much want all of us in education to not be bringing up the rear on this, not being the caboose on the train, but being in the engine leading this, all of these developments. When you reference your work in XR, how did that first come on your radar? How did you first become aware of, wow, this could be a potent educational tool? I just always, I'm not a technology person by training, but I've always been interested in technology. I think most of all interested in technology and society, the way it impacts us. And my co-founder and I, my Jiva and I, we had the opportunity to be at the VR lab out at Stanford many years ago. And it just was, we had seen some talk about VR. We had done some simple 360 video experiences. We had a chance to do the VR lab and just doing the walk the plank experience where you're, you know, you're in a room, you put the headset on and you see the floor, then all of a sudden the floor falls away and you're, you know, you're standing under this little teeny pillar 60 feet above the virtual ground and there's a wooden, what appears to be a wooden plank and you're supposed to walk across the other side. And about 30 30 to 40% of people that try this end up falling. They can't do it without holding on to somebody. There is an assistant there to help you get across. And I did get across and I just, but I, that experience was only maybe five or seven minutes, something like that. And, you know, by the end, I was just hyperventilating. My knees were shaking. Some fear of heights, not huge, but some. But, and I just, I stepped out of that experience and I went, this is a media form. It's not, that's really putting it simplistic because I think it's more than a media form. But this is a technology development that has groundbreaking implications for us because it affects us physically, not just emotionally. We don't just see it with our eyes, we feel with our body. And coming out of that and then starting to do a lot of other VR experiences, I just went, this is going to be transformative for, for not just for education, but for industry, for everything else. And so that really kind of set me off on a whole new journey that I've been on ever since. Let's look at some of the ways that this is going to be affecting both education and then some of the other areas like business. You said during the iLearn conference that we're going to be seeing XR and AI converge and it'll create some amazing opportunities. What do you see as some of those opportunities, first of all, in the educational field? I think there's huge opportunities in education. I mean, first of all, because instead of just talking about something, we'll actually be able to have students experience something. They'll be able to step into an experience. So, you know, even right now, I mean, you can do 360 experiences in the education environment where students actually get to see the world from the eyes of someone else. It's no longer the videos on the screen on the wall framed where you have the suspension of disbelief, but in actual fact, you feel like you're actually there. And that's going to be transformative of education. I mean, first of all, it very much is, it's already having a huge impact in the medical field and in healthcare education because that area has always used simulations. And what you've been able to do now, and I, I was part of this at the College of Rochelle when I was there, you know, we started to move from just working with a simulation as a mannequin on a table, the plastic man, silicon mannequin, 
to actually being able to put on a headset and step into an experience of how you would relate to a patient. So it's it's already having an impact there. It's having an impact in industry where people are using it for training, and it's going to have a huge impact. But I think the most interesting aspect when it comes to education is when you get beyond the science, engineering, and technology side and you start to look at it in terms of social sciences and the humanities because we don't really have the, the history of doing simulations there, and yet there's so much that can be done. I mean, think, for example, of, of history. Instead of talking about ancient Rome, we can step into the environment of ancient Rome, let's say, or step into one of the caves in southern Spain where, you know, you have the the absolutely majestic cave paintings on the walls. And you can also use it for, let's say, for not just trying to, to share with someone information about, let's say, a psychological condition or a physical condition, say something like dementia, but you can actually have someone have some sense of the experience of what it's like to have Alzheimer's disease. And that to me is just so important because then you move beyond the let's read about this and study it to also let experience it. And so that then becomes the the base element of it. We'll first of all experience it and then we can step back from that and begin to analyze it. So I think how we integrate this with education it's going to be complicated. I think there's lots of challenges here, but it's going to be game-changing in the sense that it's going to make abstract concepts very real. And in even abstract realities, such as if somebody else has a psychological condition, it's so hard to describe that or understand that as an outsider. But when you can begin to see it from within, you suddenly see it from a whole different perspective. What are some of those challenges that we're going to have to be prepared for, let's say, socially, ethically? What are we going to have to think about? Oh, in terms of the, I, there's going to be huge ethical considerations here that we're going to have to address. First of all, what begins to happen when you're, you know, when you're working with virtual reality, or let's just say the larger whole scope of this extended reality, or XR, is that you're in effect, bringing experience into the learning environment. And experiences, of course, trigger reactions in us and trigger reactions in our students. We already have, there's a large number of institutions in higher education right now where you have what you call trigger warnings on syllabi that, you know, that that a particular reading can be emotionally challenging. There are, in the K-12 environment, sadly sometimes, huge debates over the appropriateness of certain books because they tackle social issues. So what happens when you are no longer reading about something, but you're putting somebody into the experience? You know, there's just there's profound challenges there because you, I think you need to prepare people for the experience. There may be students, for example, that can't go through it, that find that it's too challenging for them because it might trigger something in their past, even something that seems as innocuous, for example, as the walking the plank experience, where what I referenced at the very beginning is my first first one. That, you know, it seems like, oh, well, there couldn't be, what would be the emotional implications of something like that? It's just, it might be hard to do, but why would there really be any emotional implications for students? 
take for an example an adult student that has had a child, let's say in New York City, fall out a window and even survive in, let's say, a housing project or something, that could be an emotionally gut-wrenching experience for them to, to suddenly find themselves on a precipice of it, you know, standing somewhere where there's, you know, there's all of a sudden this fear of falling and could bring up within them all sorts of emotional reaction based on an experience in their own household. So, you know, we, we're going to have to be very careful of how we introduce these resources. And, you know, it's going to take, and one of the things that we always do in my consulting work with digital bodies is that, you know, we, we really talk to organizations about the, you know, it's beyond simply assigning the reading. Because you're no longer assigning the reading, you're saying, I'm going to put students into an experience. And you have to make sure that students are prepared for that experience, understand what they're going through. And maybe even have the opportunity to say to you partway through, oh, I need to stop for a second. Maybe I can come back to this later, but I just can't go through it all right now because it's, it's too challenging for me emotionally. And of course, it hadn't occurred to me that, yes, this is very real. This could really bring up some things that have happened in the past. I wanted to ask you, too, about your work with the United Nations. What are the innovations you're seeing right now as you've worked with the United Nations on developing recommendations for the use of VR and AI in education? What's coming from around the world, and what do we have here? Oh, we, we have so much coming. I mean, first of all, there's so many good experiences out there. You know, there's a lot of debate within the industry of whether 360 video is VR, actually virtual reality, or not. And I think it's kind of a pointless debate because it's still, it puts you in an environment. It's not as immersive as full virtual reality experiences, but it is, it is immersive. And there's a lot of good stuff. What's fascinating to me is the work that's being done outside of education, and it is not to, you know, to ignore the really good work being done in some of the VR labs and XR labs around the, the country, and including what my co-founder does at the new school, but about other labs also. But there's, you know, there's, there's just, it's interesting to see other organizations embrace this. For example, news organizations, perhaps the most, the best example is the New York Times, which sort of, dived into virtual reality about five years ago and has really embraced immersive storytelling as a way to convey what would, you know, be a traditional news topic in an article and to, to change our experience of that, to make it real for us. They did a, a wonderful experience called Displaced about children in war zones in Somalia and in the Ukraine. And it's, you know, instead of just reading the article, to actually be there with the child. I mean, to me, it's just, it's so moving when you're virtually in the classroom with this child, which is the classroom's been completely bombed out. And, and you know, you're, and the child is talking to you about how more than anything, they would just like to be able to go back to school. They'd like to be able to return to school. And, you know, it's a, you know, my students see that, and it's just a whole different world than their experiences. And it's, you know, it's so important to, to have those kinds of experiences. The Guardian News has also done a, a really amazing one called Six by Nine, an experience of solitary confinement. And that's, you know, that's, wow, I mean, it's, it's a tough experience to go through. It's even more tough when I've done it at film festivals where they've actually, 
recreated a six by nine cell and so you have the headset on but you can feel the walls around you if you reach your hands out and you know and it's about this gentleman that spent I think two to three years basically locked up in solitary confinement and he's out now he's, he's recovered he's, he's you know but he talks about the psychological toll that that took on him be involved in that. Here you really have filmmakers and artists wrestling with a new media. And, you know, it's it's challenging for them. I mean, people are coming from a background of traditional filmmaking of, you know, you set a camera up, people act to a camera, you edit it afterwards, you put it up on a screen, it's framed on a wall, audiences come in and look at it. And, of course, we have wonderful movie making. We have a whole vocabulary around that. And, and people have, with really good films, people have intense emotional reactions to it. And some of those films become cultural icons for us. They last for decades. And now what we're seeing is artists beginning to experiment with how can I tell a story in virtual reality or what can I do with this? And, you know, the work that's been done at places like Sundance and Tribeca, Sundance at least happened this year, Tribeca Film Festival had to be all online, so there was only 360 video, there were none of the face-to-face immersive experiences. But what artists are doing there is just incredibly amazing work. I think it's transformative because it puts people together. You have, you know, social VR experiences, multi-user experiences. There was one called Greed at Sundance, which was a mixed reality experience, which mixed reality incorporates both the real world and virtual environment and you had four or five people standing around and they're they're breathing and with their headsets on you can actually see their breaths exhaling and their breaths interacting with the environment and it just kind of directly links you to the whole complex living world that we're a part of and the the you might say the being alive to a planet and that planet being alive to us it was another one, which was probably one of the best experiences I've ever seen. If I don't want to say seen, because seen is not really the way to talk about them. They really have to say experience, which is called The Book of Distance. And it's about a Japanese family that, that left their home in 1935 for Canada. And, of course, the war came along, and war and racism changed everything. The family had built up a really nice farm. Everything was very successful, and they were marching off to a camp and they lost absolutely everything that they had with their land and their farm being sold off or pennies on a dollar and other people swooping in and taking it up and then being released from the camp after the war was over toward the end of the war and you know generations later the the grandson tells the story. It's a kind of interactive pilgrimage and it's really kind of like an emotional geography and he tries to, it's actually his story of unpacking what his family went through, you know, deciding to leave Japan, just the just the emotional turmoil of a decision like that, of getting on a ship, setting sail for a, a foreign land they knew very little about, of building a farm, of you know raising a family, and then having everything come crashing down upon them, and then trying to recover everything that was lost afterwards. And it's, it's about a 20-minute long experience, and you go through something like that, and you just come out of it with a 
such a deeper understanding of the immigrant experience of what it means to be displaced, to try to make a, a life for yourself in a foreign world that, that you really want to call your own, but you're never really a part of. And it's just, you know, I just think experiences like these, these are the, the future of VR. As, you know, the 360 experiences that you can see online, and I so recommend the educators to, to dive into this and to try to, you know, have as many of these experiences as they can. The really groundbreaking work is being done by artists and, you know, they're beginning to tell stories in ways that we've never been able to tell stories before because now the storytelling becomes you as the viewer are part of the experience. You step into that experience and that, that to me is, I would say that, you know, Maya and I always like to say that we're we're sort of a few years past where the Lumiere brothers were at the age of film, when film was invented. You know, we're at the very beginning of this new revolution in technology, this new media. And it's, you know, we don't have a vocabulary for this yet. We, we're doing a lot of experimentation, which means there's going to be a lot of bad experiences out there. There's going to be some, some things that really aren't all that good, just like there were films in the you know, late 18, early 1900s that weren't that good. But it's it just is an incredibly fertile time. And it's just, you just, you know, you want to see these, you want to embrace these. And I just so I strongly encourage educators to try these out. You know, if you don't have a VR headset, even to just look at the 360 videos on YouTube. You can even do them in 2D sort of format if you need to. They're not as good that way. They're better on your phone. And even if you don't have a headset, even having Google Cardboard is a start, something. But, you know, as soon as you can get a headset, to definitely get one because there's just so much good work being done here. And it will, it, it's going to change the whole teaching learning environment. What are some of your favorite resources, in addition to YouTube, to recommend to fellow educators and fellow artists, both when it comes to observing VR and also possibly for creating it and telling stories? Oh, yeah, well, for observing it, I strongly recommend YouTube 360 and, you know, take a look at the work being done by the New York Times and other organizations. I mean, the Times was doing a 360 video a day, which was like absolutely amazing that they put themselves on that kind of trajectory because that was, that was, it was really challenging for them, but they pulled that off. They're now experimenting with augmented reality work, which I, I think is also fascinating. So because that they can actually embed into their article. So they did a wonderful series, for example, on the artist David Bowie and... You know, it's an article in a sense that it's a traditional news article that you can read on your, your smartphone, but then you get to a certain part of the article and in your smartphone you can actually pull up David Bowie, a virtual David Bowie, and place him on your kitchen table or your desk or your, the floor of your living room in some of the absolutely amazing costumes that he wore and then you can you can do that in miniature you can expand it to life size or even larger to life size so you know these kinds of resources are are just really it's just so important to try and just to you know to make use of and you know to experiment with see what you could use with your students 
if you can get a headset, if you don't have a headset, I absolutely recommend getting something like the Oculus Quest. I mean, I think the Quest is probably the easiest headset to use. And while it's predominantly what Facebook has done right now is really emphasize gaming, that's changing. And it's, you know, they are acquiring other VR studios and content creators, and there will be more learning resources on that. There are already learning resources that you could use on that, but the Oculus Quest is probably the easiest headset to to master if they're so completely out of stock right now. And unfortunately the Oculus Go, which was less expensive instead of the four hundred dollars for the Quest, the Oculus Go was only two hundred. Facebook just discontinued that last week. I do think that when they come out with another Oculus Go, the first one may be more discounted in price. That nice thing about the Oculus Quest is that you you don't need a separate PC to use it with, so you're not you're not having to go out and buy a gaming level PC. So that you have to have both the, the VR headset and a high end computer. You just find the headset, which makes it a lot easier. And I would recommend to educators to. You know, as I've always done with myself and I do all my colleagues, is to say, step out of your own environment. If if there's a film festival around in your area that's doing VR experiences, go see it, you know, go check it out. And museums are doing some good work, too. There's actually some museums that have been doing VR experiences, and I think those are important to see because it's just really important that we, like I said Really on here that we we wrestle with the technology at the very beginning here as it's just coming out because we need to be able to leverage this and use it in a learning environment. We also need to understand the implications of it because again, I think there's going to be huge ethical challenges down the road in terms of digital literacy, and that's that's not going to happen if we're at the tail end of these developments. Educators need to be involved in this from the very beginning. And I've done a lot of work with both K-12 schools and with higher education consulting work. And, you know, it's really amazing to see because I think as soon as educators begin to learn about this, they're like, yeah, I need to know more about this. I need to see what I can do with this. And there's just been really interesting examples come up and you know and then they always come back to me and go how can we create our own experiences and I'm always at that point I'm going well this is where you turn to your students this is your students as creators are going to be the best thing you don't need to go out and learn unity which is probably the easiest program to learn on this if one wants to do full-blown VR experiences but you have students, and they don't have to be computer students. They don't have to be students majoring in technology. Even students in the arts or students in other disciplines can pick up Unity because it's not really that difficult to get down. And, you know, use your students as creators because, first of all, it will give them a deeper appreciation of the media and what they can do with it and you can leverage their talents to create this and to create experiences and experiences are getting easier and easier to create as years go by those of you in the audience who are older can probably remember back to the days when you know there used to be something called Dreamweaver and you know creating a web page was such a big deal and everybody had to learn HTML and now you want a web page I mean you can have one in five minutes on WordPress you can get a get a site get an account set it up install WordPress and start writing five minutes later and 
you know, VR is going to get like that. VR will get easier and easier to create. Now it's still somewhat challenging, but the talent is out there and it's there all around you and your students. And I see it in the high school, even in the middle school. I have students come up to me in middle school and go, I want to learn how to create. I want to learn how do I make these, how do I make a virtual environment? I'm like, you know, bless your soul, but you really, if you want to, at some point you need to learn Unity. And then I've gone back to the school a year later and that same kid would come up to me and was like, guess what, I'm learning Unity. And I go, well, what are you doing? Are you taking a class? And, and they'll say, no, 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 I just go to YouTube, I watch the videos, I watch the lessons on YouTube, and I open a second laptop and I just follow along and I'm learning how to do it from that. So, you know, for kids, and for university students, but for a younger generation, this is their future. But particularly for, I think, in a K-12 environment, because their baseline technology is the smartphone. I mean, all of us as adults, we've watched wave after wave of technology roll over us. But for kids growing up today, they started with the smartphone. So they're looking for that first wave of technology to come. And it is coming. It is it's already here. And of course it will be, you know, virtual and augmented reality and you know, it's gonna completely envelop us once maybe two years down the road, once Apple comes out with AR glasses, Google and Microsoft and, you know, Facebook are also working on AR glasses. And 10 years from now, we probably won't even be carrying smartphones around. We'll just be using our augmented reality glasses and, you know, virtual environments will just appear in front of us on a regular basis. So for our students today, this is their first wave of technology change, and they're not fearful of it. They want to embrace it. So I would just strongly encourage you to, you know, to anyone, turn to your students and ask them to begin to experience and then to create virtual and augmented environments. Let's be sure and give your website for digital bodies because everybody is going to be willing to see the updates. How do people find out more about your coverage of current AR, VR, and XR events on Digital Bodies? Oh, well, we do a lot of writing on Digital Bodies, which our website, digitalbodies.net. We try to have two or three articles a week, so we are writing there. And we try to do news that's, I think, that's unbiased, that, you know, we're, we're not a tech site per se. We're not simply a site for educators. We want to be a site for anyone in the field. Which So we have an audience that is global around the world, probably have four or 500 readers a day these days. And they come from the film industry, they come from museums, but a large number of them are educators and, and a large number of them are students also. So we do a lot of writing and work there. We also work with the Island Conference, and we are co-authors of the upcoming State of XR report, and that will be out probably around the end of July, I would say mid to end of July. And so that should be a, not just an overview of where XR is, but dive into concrete examples of how it is being used areas where it really has application in learning environment. And so we're, we're moving both the theoretical and the concrete side in, in terms of that. And we there's also, of course, our project at the Shaping EDU initiative at Arizona State University. And I think the whole Shaping EDU project is just so innovative because that's brought together a, a large group of educators. And I really have to applaud ASU for their commitment 
to the pro- to the initiative, to making the space, to providing the resources for making this happen. And there's a number of projects underway there, including our immersive learning project. And we're looking at, you know, the convergence of VR and AI and also just the overall ethical challenges. So that's available online, and there will be more of that as we wrap that project up in the next couple of months. There will be more resources from that online. So there's quite a lot out there, and, you know, I'm more than happy to talk to anyone further about this, and I'm, I'm always reachable on LinkedIn. I, I spend my life online, so, um, you know, I'm happy to connect with people on, on any level. In addition to publishing the articles which Emery mentioned, Digital Bodies also offers a wide range of services related to implementing and researching immersive technology. You know, we really want to provide resources for people and be at the center of this conversation and help push the medium forward. So, you know, we'd love for all of you to join us and see the kind of work that we're doing. And again, we'd love to see the feedback and see what, you know, what everyone thinks about this. You know, again, it's an exciting development, and we've been doing Digital Bodies now, I guess, for five or six years, and, you know, we plan on continuing this because there's just so much happening in the field right now. And one of the recent developments in the field is the Humersive Learning Project, which Emery referred before. In January of 2020, he and his Digital Bodies co-founding partner, Maya Georgieva, in their innovator-in-residence positions at Arizona State University, began this project, which takes a close look at the responses of students to immersive learning with the goal of humanizing immersive learning while bringing disruptive change to the field of higher education. What has been one of your absolute best experiences working with the Shaping EDU, with immersive or anything else? What's been a great learning experience for you? I would probably say going through the experiences at Sundance I mean, I, I think those are, are just, you know, those have been a really groundbreaking experiences for me. Probably the one that had the biggest impact on me was from the company Magic Leap, which is doing the They have a mixed reality headset. They created an AI-driven avatar, Micah. And Micah is so profoundly realistic because, first of all, she's, it's a virtual experience, so there's no actual robotic avatar there. It's all virtually done. And interestingly enough, she doesn't talk, which actually is to her advantage, I think, because if she was talking, there would be more of a sense of artificiality in the experience of it. But because the Magic Leap One, the headset, tracks your, your location and tracks your eye movements, she reacts to you. She reacts to everything that you do, and it is uncannily realistic. I mean, it's scary in a way. I think we saw that at Sun- we did that at Sundance over the other year. It might have been even 2018. And when we first had that experience of her, I think I ended up doing it four different times, going in a room with her. And I, I think on the fourth time, I remember going to the room. She's like sitting across the table from you. You know, there's something she just through gestures she gets you to do some things. And I think on the fourth time, I just kind of went, I'm just going to sit here and ignore her. I'm going to purposely try to ignore her. And I just 
sound that within a minute or two, I couldn't, and I just couldn't because we're so programmed to respond to embodied human beings, even though she's not a real human being, but she appears as an embodied human being, so that even when you try to ignore her, you just you just go, you can't, and you just get sucked into it. And that, of course, I think Maya and I both, we, we did it multiple times, and I think we, we both came out of that and went, the, the, the possibilities here for education of creating personalized, individual tutors that will be with you 24-7, that can help you do your work, that can challenge you when you need to be challenged, that can tell you to calm down and relax when you should calm down and relax because it doesn't help to cram, you know, for a test on the last night. You probably should just get a good night's sleep. You know, having that down the road, and it really made, we started talking about, well, you know, would that, what will happen in the future? Will, will students will students prefer an avatar, an embodied virtual avatar to their real-life faculty? You know, would they want something that's available 24-7, or will they want the real person? And I, I don't know that I can answer that question. And I, I don't know, you know, I, I'm not saying that faculty would disappear, because I absolutely don't think they will, but I think it will change the role of faculty, just as the digital revolution has changed the role of news media, that news media can no longer be the first to break a story. It just, it absolutely can't, because the story is going to be whoever has their smartphone out and it has... Is on Facebook or Twitter or whatever other social media platform. That's how the story will be broken, and that's of course that will even shape the story because, as we've seen with the recent social protests, what's happened is the videos that get shared of an incident or videos that get shared of a protest of a demonstration that suddenly go viral and have a subsequent effect of engendering further reactions. So I don't think faculty will by any means be replaced by technology, but I think their role will change. You know, it's the, it's, we've already seen it with the Khan Academy, have we not? You know, tons of students that, and millions of students actually, that are on the Khan Academy learning math. Why? Because with a real teacher, it's kind of embarrassing to ask third or fourth time around, can you explain that once again? But with Khan Academy, you can replay the video endlessly until you get it right. And that's just straightforward video. That's not even immersive environment. So imagine once you can have a virtual avatar, and that avatar can say, well, let me explain this to you another way, or let me try this again, yet another way, in a way that no human would ever have the time to do. So I think that's it's going to be game-changing in terms of not just education, but industry training and everything else. And then, of course, there are, you know, the flip side of this is the ethical challenges that come from this. And we were both struck by Micah being so realistic and going, you know, thinking about this now. Most of us today currently cannot even tell when something is a fake social bot on social media. And we're pretty much incapable of discerning deep fake videos. Even AI, Facebook recently did a project on this, and even AI is pretty bad at discerning deepfake videos. What's going to happen when we have virtual avatars? You know, how will we tell whether they're, are they authentic? Are they really somebody else's avatar? Are they not? Are they pretending to be, but actually something that's deceptive and different? I mean, it's, it does mean in the future that I think our real challenge will be digital literacy, or as I like to call it now, really digital fluency. 
because that's where we're, you know, be the big challenge. We already face that challenge in the social media world that we're in today, but we're going to face it even more in immersive environments. So I think what, you know, what we've seen at places like Sundance and Tribeca are just groundbreaking experiences here and the kinds of things that make you stop and really think about the incredibly creative possibilities for our future and the the incredible challenges that we're going to face. You know, Jeremy Bayliston at Stanford kind of summed it up, I think, when he said that virtual reality is, it's a bit like nuclear power. You can use it to heat your homes and turn on your lights, or you could use the same thing to blow up the world. And virtual reality, augmented reality, extended reality is going to be exactly that. It's a double-edged sword, and it can go both ways. And, you know, just as we've had to come to terms with nuclear power and, you know, use it in kind of judicious ways, we're going to have to do the same when it comes to XR down the road, because for all the creative opportunities there, there's also going to be the potential for issues that we're going to have to really work with our students on. And finally, Emery, if people could only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you like them to take away from your work? I think the one thing that we really need to take away from this is to to bracket the ethics for the moment, put that aside, acknowledge that it's there, but put that aside and say there's just tremendous, tremendous creative opportunities here. And, you know, we see that with every bit of technology that has come along. You know, every technology development ends up getting used in ways that we just cannot imagine. And that the same is going to be true with AR, VR, and all of this, and the whole extended reality developments here, that there's going to be a, a flowering of human creativity, a flowering of storytelling, um, because this is finally, to me, it's the big breakthrough. We'll no longer be using technology as a tool to, to complete a task. We'll still do that, of course. That will still be there in our lives. But technology will become a platform for experience. And as the platform for experience, we're going to see a younger generation come along and use this in absolutely fascinating and creative ways. And, and that's why I'm, I'm just so excited by it and just so, so thrilled to see the developments that happen. And I just, you know, I look forward, particularly, I look forward to seeing what students will do with this as they embrace this technology in the future. And I just hope that all of us create that space for students to explore that creativity and to do that because this is, we're on the verge of a new age. And I, as I was, you know, like to say, we're, we're sort of like we're, we're watching what the Lumiere brothers did, with the initial primitive version of movies for George Millet knocking out a 10-minute movie a day. And, you know, we don't know where this is going down the road, but the only way to do this is to dive in, to grab the tools, to try using them, and it's incredibly chaotic. There's times where it's going to be incredibly frustrating, but, you know, 10 or 20 years from now, we're going to look back on this era and we're going to go, this was the golden age of immersive technologies of virtual environments, because in 20 years, there will be a set vocabulary, it will all be kind of you know, it would be much more regimented and, and compartmentalized. Right now, we're open to doing anything. And with that kind of fertile ground, I just I just so encourage people to 
you know, to open their arms wide, embrace it, and try some experiments with it, and learn as much as they can about it, because it's a really exciting future. Emery, thank you for your time today. Oh, well, thank you. It's a real pleasure talking with you. And again, I'm happy to connect with anyone that, you know, would like to learn more about this. I just see us on a, a journey, and so we just we really appreciate everyone's point of view on this in terms of how they react to it, what they see as the barriers, what they see as the opportunities. You and I have been listening to futurist and VR, AR, and AI consultant Emery Craig co-founder and CEO of New York-based XR research and implementation firm, Digital Bodies. As Emery mentioned, you're welcome to connect with him. You can find him on LinkedIn. And be sure to check out Digital Bodies' website, digitalbodies.net, for more information about the company and some great articles on recent developments in VR, AR, AI, and XR. That's digitalbodies.net. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X, twomavericks.com. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.